You are tuned into the Fit Pharmacist Healthcare Podcast. Your RX for success in nutrition, mindset, and health to dispense the best version of you. What is the Fit Pharmacist? Is it a person? No, it's a movement in the profession of pharmacy to be better, to deliver your full potential. The core belief is this, if we're functioning at 100%, our relationships improve. We become energized in our career and live a fulfilled life. Here's your host for the show, Dr. Adam Martin. As healthcare professionals, we function not only as liaisons for our patients at directing them toward their best health, but as something even more, someone impactful who's positioned in a role of trust that can literally alter how they take their medications, follow up on their medical conditions, and put recommendations we give them into practice. At the foundational level, the degree of impact we have on those lives that we serve as healthcare professionals depends greatly on our ability to function as teachers. Meeting them where they are, supporting them to feel heard, giving them a voice and listening to it, collectively allow us to build rapport with our patients. This bond will then allow us to effectively communicate potentially life-saving information to the patients we serve. As a pharmacist, I can without a doubt say this skill is what enables exceptional counseling and therefore optimal outcomes, which is what it's all about positively impacting the health and lives of those we serve. How do you know what's effective, though? What are some things we can put into practice right now to bridge the communication gap to connect with our patients? I was thinking about this question, and then I ran into my seventh grade teacher, Mr. Ditello, without a doubt, the most effective teacher I've ever had in my schooling, which is pretty lengthy. As a pharmacist, I can say. <laughs> yeah, you'll get your check in the mail. No. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure my address is right. Don't get that, get that zip code. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 18 years ago, he taught me about a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, which I can still spell, by the way, and remember it to this day, about him being rich, having plumbing, and because it was lead plumbing back in the day, it caused him to go insane and think he was a pig. This was 18 years ago, and I still remember this. So needless to say, he's pretty effective at getting the point across to his students. He made his class so fun, he literally tricked me into learning. I just wanted to win some candy with the games he had, and along the way I became a pharmacist. So guys, it's my honor to introduce you to the one and only Mr. Detillo to the Fit Pharmacist Healthcare Podcast. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you. That was a very nice introduction. I'll give it an A, A plus. Oh, yes. Maybe I get some candy to pick from Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so, guys, um, if you did not have Mr. Datillo back in the day, just a little insight into him. He taught high school and middle school kids for 35 years and loved doing it. A teacher that loved what he did, very rare, but very indispensable, and had a huge impact on thousands of people's lives projecting them to become the best and really fulfill their potential, which is a gift that not many people have. And to meet someone in your life like that is really just phenomenal. Um, and it, it really is an inspiration. Um, about him, he's always felt that teaching was an incredibly important profession, and he wanted to make history come alive and be dynamic and relevant. His second profession was music, which he loved. He played at weddings for his students and in an actual wedding band. 
he still performs today in a band of other senior citizens. Actually, before this podcast recording, he had a ukulele lesson. Is that right? No, mandolin. 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 Excuse me. (laughs) I can tell you're not a musician. (laughs) No. (laughs) He loves dogs. His is right here, actually. Yes, right here. Uh, And he volunteers at shelters and animal friends. He's fascinated with the psychology of a dog and how it shows unconditional love to humans. He's developing a program to bring knowledge about music to kindergarten and first and second graders. Some of his hobbies are working out at his gym daily, which I fully endorse, <laughs> and reading all he can about nutrition and health, as well as music and dogs. So, enough about you. <laughs> <laughs> so, we want to know, being such an amazing teacher, going back 18 years, I still remember the excitement. I would literally get to class first one, be that super dork that I still am today. Maybe that's where it started. That's I don't know. where it did it come from candy? Is that where this came from? <laughs> no. Incentive. Everybody needs incentive. Incentive. Yeah. So that's a key point, too, is, is getting someone to have that buy-in. Right. Um, so as healthcare professionals, as pharmacists, um, one of our main roles is to teach people very important things, how to take medication, follow-up, when to call in. Um, but a lot of times that message doesn't get interpreted or relayed appropriately. But being an effective teacher allows you to get that point across, whether it's a fact or, you know, a follow-up or or anything like that. So in your experience dealing with kids, which have the attention span of kids, (laughs) what are some key principles to keep in mind when you're trying to teach someone else something important? Let's say it's their first day in your classroom and you're trying to build that rapport. How do you get them engaged so that you can even begin to try to get the message across? The the first day is uh, so crucial. And uh, what you're trying to establish is that you're a teacher that has control of his classroom, that you're not there to be their friend, that you're there as a teacher, but that the classroom is safe and that you're going to be fair. And fair is key because Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I was blessed with is I had the ability to remember what I felt, what I thought, etc. when I was in seventh grade. And you, you go back to that time and remember, if a teacher was fair, it was so important. And, and then in many cases, I loved a safe, secure environment where I knew that the kids who normally cause trouble and in a way interrupt learning were not going to have an area to work out in. Right. So I, I always let them know. I always say, you know, if you're a troublemaker, please screw off. And then if I nail you, I don't have any problems. And uh, it was almost like I was playing a character, uh, a tough guy, which I wasn't inside. But you have to establish that respect. Respect is so key. Yeah. And in the beginning, you have to let them know that. Eventually, respect comes from uh, your hard work. You're making that class interesting every day. You providing for them, caring about each kid you know, has to feel that you care about them. So that respect comes later. But in the beginning, you have to establish that boundary. And then after about two weeks, and they know they can't mess around in your class, you go from there. So you want them to be secure. But then I also, right at the end of my first class, I would have a, a Tyco basketball hoop in the room. And I what I, well. yes, <laughs> yes. And what I used to do is I used to have this little can and it had the number of every student in the class. You were given a number based on the grade book. 
And at the end of class, if we had an extra five minutes, because you never had any free time in my class, never, you could always be doing something. We would draw a number from the can. And what they loved is everybody had the same chance, one in 32 or whatever. And when you drew somebody's number, I would ask them a question, a social studies question. If they answered it correctly, they got to come up and shoot this little round uh, basketball at the hoop. And if they made it, they got a pick from the box. Now, this was years ago when candy was allowed in classrooms and peanut allergies weren't running wild. But even when that happened, I adjusted with pencils and pens and, and cards and things like that. Yeah. But uh, I, I let them know after at the end of the first day and I, I show them the tape on the floor from where you shoot the basketball because you have a choice of three places. The harder the shot, the bigger the reward. And so that shows them and gives them a little taste right at the end of class that they want more and the bell rings. And that's the way I used to run my classes. I would set them up in segments. You can't give notes ad nauseum and put them to sleep. So, and that's the way a lot of my teachers were. And I swore that I was going to change that. So what I would always do in the beginning of class is we would have current events and I would keep them aware of what's going on in the world, but try to make it interesting. Try to bring in things they're interested in. And then I would provide them what's called a structural outline. And so I had a vague outline of the notes and they would fill in. So they weren't writing furiously during my class so they could pay attention to what I was teaching. And what they didn't realize either from day one to the last day of school, I weaned them off of the notes so they could write more and more and learn that skill of only writing down what's important. So you're incorporating a skill, you're incorporating all that stuff into that structural outline. So those, those were some of my, you know, approaches. And first day they realized that. So those principles are really applicable to healthcare, actually. So day one, you don't want to be portrayed like when a patient comes to the pharmacy, for example. You don't want to be portrayed as a slog or a screw off. You want to have that professionalism, that white coat dressed to impress type deal. So you have that, that authority figure, but you're not superior to them. And what I mean by that is when you communicate, you want to be on their level with that language. Um, so counseling on a medication, say, um, let's, let's pick Zetia or Azetamibe. Um, you don't want to tell them, you know, this medication is going to block the Neiman pick C1 like receptor because they're going to say, huh? You're going <laughs> like to say, I'm saying right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. And me too. I think that's right. Um, but instead say, this is going to block the absorption of cholesterol, something they'll understand on their terms. Because if you talk in a way that they can't relate to, they're not going to be able to interpret and put that information into practice. Exactly. Um, also, with, with your system of getting that, that buy-in of actually wanting to, um, that plays right into adherence with someone that is prescribed uh, a medication for a legitimate purpose, for a condition, or managing a condition, having that compliance. So understanding the value, also getting them to have some sort of system that works for them, be it an app or a calendar or some sort of daily reminder, um, and then having that reward, whether it be follow-up um, or refill calls or whatever your pharmacy has in place for that. Um, but I think those are all phenomenal principles that can be applied, not only with teaching anything, but especially with healthcare um, in, in the pharmacy, because getting those points across is, is really essential to allow people to take our expertise and, and put it into practice, because that's what we're there to do, is lead them to that health. Now, with that being said, a lot of times when we counsel people, we, we want to make sure they understand it or that, that we 
communicated it effectively. So sometimes, not always, and I'm sure in class, sometimes when we ensure they actually understood it, they give a nod or, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. But in actuality, what, 90% you'd say, there's no chance in hell right. that it's retained. So what's a way that you can ensure that what you taught is not only acknowledged, but they understand it and are able to implement it? Well, I would uh, use a lot of different methods. The taking of notes was the first one. I would do little things like I spent a lot of time looking for cartoons that I could use in my notes to illustrate a point. And you could find certain ones that dealt with history. And even in anthropology, there were a lot that related to especially early history, which I taught ancient history, but it went back in time to it to, oh, like the Middle Ages and even back into Romans and Greeks. Um, so I used a lot of humor, and humor seemed to help. The other thing was uh, reinforcement through games. Before we would have a test, I would have a couple days of review, and my re reviews consisted of a day of jeopardy, where sometimes I would even get dressed up like Alex Trebek, and I would maintain the personality of a of a game show host. And the kids loved that. I would make up professions for them and say, and I would, I would take the time to find out what they were interested in. If a kid was interested in being a doctor, I would make him a certain type of doctor and talk about his background. And they just loved that. So they got into the game and all the questions related to the material that were on the test. Uh, we also did a review where I would put them into groups. Uh, that was part of the philosophy of education at the time is to get kids to work together. So I used to take the kids who were obviously the, the better students, split them up, and they would be distributed through the group so there would be fair, fairness. And then at that point, I would give them maybe 50 questions to answer in 20 minutes. So there's a time element. So they go, go, go. And every, every fifth question was something about their culture, a video game, a cartoon, a TV show something that they related to outside of the classroom. They love that. They love that. And they work together to answer not only the history questions, but also those questions. And then the winning group would get a pick from the box or extra credit points, et cetera. And by doing those various activities, we, we had a game called Mummy Ball, which Adam was fond of. And oh, they yes. would actually sit on the top of the desk and they would throw a small Nerf ball around the room. And if you dropped it, you had to you were eliminated, but you could get back in the game if you answered a question correctly. So they wanted to stay in the game. They wanted to pursue that incentive. You know, it's like the American way, you know. So they they worked hard. They assimilated that knowledge and fun, but yet then on the tests they produced. And the other thing was behind all of this, I'm trying to teach them skills, deductive reasoning, working with groups, how to take notes, how to pay attention et cetera, et cetera. It's all skills because, and what used to tick me off is that the experts would say, you only, kids only remember 10% of what you teach them. And that burned me. And I swore I would change that with my kids. And so through repetition and over the year in these games, these kids retained it. So he re remembered what Nebuchadnezzar was. Who Nebuchadnezzar was, it's not going to have any effect on his life. But the fact that he could retain things and, and bring them back, that's the skill. Repetition is the mother of skill. Absolutely. Yes. Um, with what uh, Mr. Tiller just said, that can be translated directly into patient care. So if, you, if a patient asks for information on a medication, 
if you just give them the actual package insert, that's like giving them a textbook. Like, go ahead. Uh -huh. <laughs> but if you guys use some resources like pharmacist letter, um, clinical pharmacology, they have frequently asked questions, med counselor sheets of just pertinent information that they want to know. So that would relate to like note taking in school, um, giving, you know, the cliff notes, but not just giving it, but having some sort of analogy. So Mr. Attila is talking about um, cartoons. If you're in social media, you see the value that info memes have of taking information and literally pictographing the concept so that people who are visual learners can see that. Um, that's one method. Another is having that buy-in with, with teaching them. So he talked about the value of groups, especially with diabetes care, because it's not just medications. It's, it's diet, it's exercise, it's follow-up, um, you know, foot exams, things like that. So having uh, diabetes education classes when in a group setting where people might not feel as intimidated because we're all yeah. at different levels of right. learning um, and not just learning from the teacher, but also other colleagues, people that have that same diagnosis. Um, cancer support groups is another thing. Uh, being in, in the same situation where you can share those experiences and, and get that support and really build friendships out of it too um, is, is another thing that really adds value when communicating with patients uh, to help them get the, the handle and best control over their own health. So those are those are excellent ways to do that. Yeah, I, I want to add to one of the things, and this probably relates to your field as well, is that you have to make people feel uh, that they're important, mm -hmm. that they're respected, and things of that nature. And I was always intrigued by that because I, I was small in high school. I was bullied, et cetera. So I was incredibly sensitive to that type of thing. And, and I remember I had a teacher in college who I asked him at one point, I said, what, he was talking about theology, and I asked him, well, what religion do you follow? And he said, basically, my religion is don't be a dick. Can I say that? Yeah, that's, yeah, okay. that's good to go. Okay. Sorry about that. But, <laughs> but that really hit me. And, and, and I think that's all kids want. They just want you to be, to treat them with respect and as human being, and don't do anything that doesn't make sense, to be punitive or anything like that. I used to search for the kid who was picked on or who was very sensitive or who was a wall walker. In other words, he was very quiet. He was a chameleon. He didn't want to be noticed because that was the type of kid that a teacher can influence the most. If you find worth or value in him. So I would find things that they were interested in, talk to them about it, etc. And that's what I think like a pharmacist can do. A pharmacist can talk to people with respect on an even plane. And it's the same thing you do in any walk of life, whether it be business or medicine or teaching, et cetera. So I think it's fairness and respect and kids respond to that. And as adults do too. Absolutely. And I think that really talks to the value that we have with our patients and the relationships. Um, right. Knowing people by name, if you're a pharmacist that works in one store, um, this is a huge asset you have is knowing uh, you know, people having birthday parties or if they have, um, you know, uh, events that, you know, they were having over the weekend, you can follow up with that. Oh, how was your grandson's party? How was your high school reunion? Things like that. So you can give that personal touch. Personal touch. Now you might say, well, I, you know, float from place to place. I don't work in the same pharmacy. Well, the value of addressing someone by name is so profound. They, because a lot of people don't, they just think you're busy and don't know them. But guys, you have a cheat sheet. You have their prescription. The name is Yeah, right you're there. lucky. Yeah. yeah. I see a student. I have thousands of students, and I see them out, and I have to recall their name immediately where you get the cheat sheet. Yeah. That's awesome. 
But what you can do, just say like, hey, Mrs. Smith, literally, if you've never like interacted with that person on a personal level, they'll like do a double take. Like, Wait, you know my name? Yeah. It, and the, at first they might be a little freaked out, but then they'll realize. And then the next time they'll come in and be like, hey, Adam. And then you're like, oh, I don't even have my name badge on, but you're supposed to because that's a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, you just build that relationship and that's going to build trust and build rapport. And whenever they ask you a question about medications or what can I take over the counter, what should I do? the impact of your um, counseling is going to have so much more deeper meaning and value. Just like as a teacher, if they have that um, rapport or like me where I was totally obsessed with the games and the love, I wanted to know like, how am I going to score? Not how am I going to get the answer, but <laughs> right. you know, I, I want to have this outcome, which in your classroom is getting a pick from the box or scoring in the game. But in patient world, it's how do I fix this symptom or you know, right. resolve this? So it's the similar situation, just different specifics. Right. But having that rapport through respect, um, you know, talking to someone at their level, eye contact, addressing them by name, it's the things that are that might seem like stupidly simple, but they have the deepest, longest impact that can really literally lead them to longer lasting health and better outcomes. And to piggyback on uh, what Adam just said, too, is, is the fact that when you do something like that, it is amazing the effect it has on people and how they never forget that. Mm. I mean, I have students that come up to me that I had when they're 12 and now they're 55 and they say, I'll never forget that time where you came and talked to me about my dog who had died. And that changed me. And those are little things that you don't think are important at the time, but they are. And, and it would be uh, a pharmacist expressing some personal interest in a customer or a doctor being kind with a patient and their condition, which goes on all the time. So I have a couple tips to share in that regard that just, you know, things that I just put into practice that really resonate with people on that level you just described. The one is whenever um, a patient passes away or someone in their family passes away, yes. immediately send a card of condolence. And what I do is I'll send it to the patient and have my whole staff write just, you know, not an essay, but just, you know, if you ever need anything, please feel free. They don't call, they come physically into the pharmacy and like give me a hug. And it's just a small thing, like it doesn't take much time. But just what you said, they're like, I'll never forget you wrote that card four years ago. It da, means da, da, da. everything. That, yeah. um, another thing I do is I have a pack of smiley face stickers in different colors uh, where I work in, in the pharmacy. So if someone's having a bad day or they need a cheer up, but I, I know, again, through building personal relationships, um, which people are receptive to that because you don't want to, if someone's a, as you would say, a dick, yeah. <laughs> you, they might take it the wrong way. Yeah. But, um, you know, having that relationship with patients and if they're having a bad day, I literally just put a, uh, a smiley face sticker on their prescription bag and they're like doom and gloom or just, you know, monotone, but then they get their prescription to pick up and just shut such a change. Oh. And they're like, wow, you just made my day. There's a sticker. Yeah. Like it's just a simple little thing. Um, but you guys can have that capacity and the ability to be innovative, to do the, the little things that make all the difference with patients. Um, and that's my challenge is, you know, just go above and beyond to deliver that level of care that make people feel special. That's really the key um, is making someone feel like they're important, that you hear them, that you respect them. And in turn, they're going to respect you tremendously which is going to strengthen that healthcare professional patient relationship, leading to better outcomes. And that's what we're here to do is help people be healthier. Exactly. The human touch is now, just so important. Absolutely. 
Um, with that, though, we talked about a lot of good things of what to do. There's a lot of things not to do. So can you touch on anything that you've tried yourself or seen previous colleagues where you just shake your head and say, why the hell did you do that? Yeah. Uh, one of the big things, and I, once again, I take this and relate it back to when I was in school, what I hated. I, I hated when I was uh, singled out and embarrassed in front of my peers. Uh, when a kid does something that is disruptive, I usually take them out in the hall. And so I, I'll, I'll talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, et cetera. And then uh, there, there are a lot of other things too. I mean, where, uh, where I would make mistakes is uh, in the beginning develop my, developing my curriculum. Sometimes you get uh, so involved in the curriculum that you lose sense of the humor and other things and the little stories that make the curriculum come alive. And that's what I had to improve. I, I bought a lot of books and did a lot of readings to find those little things in history that you never learned in school that made history come alive. That little, like the, the story of Nebuchadnezzar, when I read about it, I was amazed that, you know, because of his place in the kingdom and he was the king, that they had this flowing water and it was a, a sign of wealth and, and majesty and, and the lead poisoning from the pipes killed him. I mean, it just drove him crazy. So those kind of stories keep the kids interest. And then you have to relate it to modern day too. And, and a lot of people just, a lot of teachers would just teach the curriculum. And, and then of course it's the method you use. Like I remember I had one teacher that would write notes on a board an entire period. And all we would do is copy them. It was terrible. It was the most boring thing. And in fact, on Facebook, one of my friends from high school, he's now 66. And he said, he remembers how boring that was. You gotta use better techniques. So I tried to totally change my techniques. They constantly evolve. And the other thing that I didn't do enough of in the beginning was listen to students. Mm. Students have such great ideas themselves. And when they know you're receptive to listening to their ideas and maybe even incorporating things in class, like some of the things I've incorporated in class, the, the ideas came from students. So that's another thing that I think I didn't do enough of in the beginning. That goes a lot with uh, leading your team as a pharmacist with your technicians, having that. So you're teaching them, you know, how to uh, treat patients the best and how to have an optimal workflow. Um, we were just talking about baristas at Starbucks being understaffed. I was like, yeah. oh, that sounds like a pharmacy running around, this and that. Yeah. Um, but exactly having that rapport where you allow your technicians and those you work with to come to you and give those ideas and feedback like, hey, I know that this is what you want, but what if we tried it this way? And just, you know, being receptive and listening to that, not, you know, jumping in the water, but oh, right away, let's do it. But just, you know, analyzing, listening to it, hearing their rationale um, can really improve things. And, and for me, that's, that's helped a lot throughout the years, for sure. Right. So listening is definitely key. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, <laughs> counseling a patient and saying, oh, write all this down. Like that yes. won't work at all. Yeah, no. um, but, you know, providing the handouts, walking through them with it. Um, one thing that we use is the teach back method, which I guess is the same as exams where like you yeah. ask a question and there's no like circle, but like, you know, free response or open-ended questions, which we all hated, yeah. but, but we were good at it because we did it for the candy. <laughs> so it worked out. Skills. Yes, skills. exactly. But talking about skills is how to use an inhaler appropriately. Um, what is it? Over 90% of people on prescribed inhalers use them incorrectly. So what does that cause? Uh, not, not creating, not, uh, getting the condition under control, the symptoms aren't 
well managed. So then you have to increase the dose, add more medications, leading to more side effects, more costs. It's just a cascade of crap, um, to put it eloquently. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, doing that feedback method. So that's one thing that, that I do with teaching someone how to use an inhaler is I have the handout guide with the picture graphics um, in, like, let's say, Venolin, for, in, for example. Um, inside that package insert, they have each step laid out with the text and also pictures um, going through each thing using the inhaler, puffing it, things like that. But going through it while they have the notes and then getting some sort of affirmation that they understand or using that nonverbal reception of, you know, do you get it or not? But then once you're done, say, okay, just to make sure that I taught it or explained it appropriately, can you please teach it back to me? Right. Just to make sure that I didn't miss anything. So taking the responsibility, like Mr. Attila said, not singling them out, but, you know, taking the ownership, even if you did do it to your best ability, just saying, like, you know, put it on me. I might have done something wrong, but I just want to make sure that, that you get it. Right. So that way it takes that singling out, out of the equation, allows them to practice it right in front of you, and you can give feedback and, and alter your counseling or teaching methods based on what you see. Exactly. So I think that's, that's really good, too. Um, one thing that we all want to know, if you're listening to this podcast, you are into improvement and always bringing your best. And even when you get there, what can you do more? What can you work on even to grow to a better degree than, than you are now? So in the teaching realm, we get these skills, all these tips we've implemented. What are some ways or how can we improve our skills as teachers to increase our effectiveness and methods on an ongoing basis that, that you've tried or that you would recommend? You mean the, the methods or how we go about, like how did I go about? Yeah. yeah. Oh, how okay. would you constantly look for improvements or ways to get better? Okay. I, um, first of all, it's, you, you want to try to locate all of the teachers in your school that basically are known for doing a great job. And then if you can't observe them, at least talk to them, get their feedback, get ideas. A lot of teachers that have experience and they're dynamic, excellent teachers, they're key in training the younger teachers. And I used to try to seek those people out and just kind of pick their brains for methods. And then it's trial and error. I've tried many games in class to reinforce knowledge and some work and some don't. And when they What's that? Twister didn't work. No, no, I didn't use that one. <laughs> but I, I have tried a lot of different things. And uh, also, like teachers have in services, which sometimes tend to be a little slow uh, to, to be nice. But once in a while, you find something in those in services. And, and I encourage administrators to try to bring in teachers that are uh, presenters that would actually help teachers in their classroom and make it more dynamic and interesting. So it's, it's a constant seeking. And a lot of times it's just part of your personality. It's just like in the field of music, you're always looking to make it sound better and to find little techniques to project out to your audience in the, the same way with a, with a teacher. Just like when you have like pharmacy manager meetings or there's a new initiative or policy that you have to relay to your technicians or staff that you work with, you want that feedback, you know, just having that open dialogue of communication, um, like you said, always seeking to improve in, in any in any way that you can. Right. So, rapid fire time. Looking back on your thirty five years of teaching, how would you handle a student who fell asleep in class? Oh, this is like an interview. They oh, always, yeah. okay. They always give you this question at an interview. And everything. <laughs> First of all, 
Um, no one fell asleep in my class. I was going to say, <laughs> well, my voice was so loud. You could t tell by here, I, uh, the projection. And plus, I almost took it as a personal front that I was not being dynamic enough or interesting. And of course, I would use my voice tone and raise it and things like that. But, uh, I, I, you know, and to be honest with you, I, I can't, I remember a few kids falling asleep like after a test or something like that, but it's kind of hard. And, and if, if I, I saw a kid being drowsy, I would run over to that side of the room as I talked and things of that matter. So, but, uh, I've never, with my, the way I approach teaching was kind of hard to fall asleep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, of course I, every I teacher is going to say that, but yeah, you know, what about now back in, back in my day, this was just becoming a thing, but cell phone usage in class. Yes. Yeah, you experienced that? Yeah. Well, I'm too old for that. I, they were, <laughs> I, I, I really am. I mean, cell phones came in, uh, I, you know, I'm going on 67 and, uh, I retired 10 years ago. So I, uh, I was right on the fringe of that. Kids had cell phones, but very few. And they were never around in school. I, you know, my wife is a teacher now, and she has to deal with it. And it can be a problem, especially in cheating. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was a master at dissuading cheating. I mean, I nobody cheated off me. The reason I ask is a lot of times in the pharmacy, we try to counsel or talk to patients when they're on their phone. So just wondering if she has found or you have found any ways to still be respectful, even though they're not being in the best of respects. Uh, being on their phone, we're trying to deliver that message. But if there's a, a way that you found to, to break that barrier that's effective while still being as respectful as possible. Yeah, I, I know personally, I have heard teachers that will collect the phones in the beginning of class and then return them at the end. We can't do that in the pharmacy. <laughs> I know, you can't do that. See, to me, that's a pretty foolproof method. But uh, yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, because it's so disrespectful. disrespectful. If you're talking to a patient and you're a pharmacist and they pull out their phone, it's like, hey. So sometimes it's just common common sense yeah. that they shouldn't be doing that. But I don't, I don't know how you would handle it. With a teacher, of course, we always have that authority that we can uh, place their phone somewhere else. And then we can always, you know, report the student to the principal. Ah, yeah. so reporting it to HIPAA. So just saying like, hey, I have to have some important information with you, but I don't want to violate your HIPAA rights. So right. You could try that. Nice. Card. I like that. See, that's, that's one, one thing that might work yeah. for you guys. Or you, you, before you go to that route, you could try to some nonverbal communication of just silence, so just staring, the staring, you know, the the stank eye. Yes. Sometimes that gets it across, but if they're deep in convo, you, you could try that method too, because we want to make sure that message does get across. Um, or saying like, "Hey, I see you're busy. Is there a time that you can call back, or I can call you to go over this because there are some important things that I want to discuss." Um, so that might be good too. Yeah. What about um, if a kid kept cutting class or not coming to class? So we could relate this to. Uh, patients not picking up the refills or they're not on track. That's why I asked that question. Right. Um, as far as cutting class, once again, I, I, I didn't have a big problem with that because I tried to create an environment where kids wanted to come. To Everyone class. wants candy, man. Well, it, it wasn't just the candy, too. I, I think it was. Uh, I, I think it was the dynamic nature of the class, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, like it was very gratifying for me if when the bell rang, some kid would say, "Wow, it seems like we just got here." Yeah. That was the best compliment I could get. So yeah, it's, it's, it's something that you have to make uh, dynamic so that they want to be there. And, yes. and kids picked up right away. For example, Friday was always big test day. So kids would have four tests on one day and I'd say, okay, I'm going to move mine. So I would move my test to another day. And then my class became their safe zone. 
So they would have three tests. They would come to my class and we would play a review game for my test on that day, like Friday. And then maybe I would give my test the following Tuesday. And the kids respected me for appreciating that it's not fair to have that overload, Mm. four tests in one day, you know. And then, so mine was one they looked forward to coming to. So things like that, you know. Um, That really plays true with the healthcare team, um, with who you work with in the pharmacy. Uh, Me, for example, I have phenomenal technicians that I work with. They bust their butt. They bring their A game every day. So they're going, this is my view, and I've told it to them. You guys are going to be here anyway. Why not have fun? So literally, we've got like Torque It Tuesday. Um, You know, we can play some music on Pandora if it's like super stressful or someone's having a bad day. I literally have a channel on Pandora called Happy Radio. So if it gets too negative up in there. I've seen that. They know. They know what goes down. Um, But each of them are phenomenal, and they bring their own unique assets and gifts to the table, whether it be communicating with the patient super professionally, um, really knowing the inventory system well. They all have different gifts. So acknowledging that and letting them know that you are special in this respect makes them feel like we talked about earlier, not just for the patient, but with those you work with. Because we all know your technicians make or break your day. Like you're a pharmacist, but everything else depends on your techs. They are your life force. That is a fact. Um, So treating them better than you treat yourself is something that I try to implement. I can definitely be better at it. Um, But it's it's a, a motto that I would highly recommend you implement as a pharmacist um, in really getting the best out of your workflow. Um, some simple tips that I've picked up along the way uh, are celebrating each of them. So if they go above and beyond, acknowledging that, like not just to them, like aside, but just showing everyone like, hey, um, the other day, um, Jill went above and beyond for Mrs. Smith. This is what she did. Because of that, she felt so appreciated. She called uh, corporate and gave like a, a good, com- a good uh, not a complaint, but a, a good praise. Right. Um, that's going to say, oh, well, I could do that and, you know, get that buy-in, like upping the ante, setting the standard to a place that we all can get to based on someone else's example. Um, And that's what's phenomenal with with the girls that I work with is they all bring that to the table. Um, Birthdays. This is something that I do is each time they have a birthday, I make a huge deal. I get a cake. I celebrate it. Like everyone loves it because you get cake. I mean, it's kind of similar to the candy thing. Um, everyone wants cake. So, Oh, it's happy birthday. Yeah. My birthday's next week. Don't forget. Like that always happens. That That's one thing is I, and it's another, uh, a cheat system is I don't really have to remember cause they always tell me like, Oh, Adam, my birthday's in a month. Adam, my birthday's in 26 days. Don't forget. <laughs> so another way to, to get that, uh, buy-in and celebrate and make them feel special. Um, but I'm always looking for other ideas. So if you guys have others, feel free to uh, comment or, or write in to let me know. Um, cause I'm always looking to improve myself. I'm far from perfect, but I've picked up a lot of tips along the way that has led to increased engagement, making that day go fast. And exactly what you said, if a day goes by, it's like, wow, that went so fast. Yes, it's because it's insanely busy and we're short-staffed, but if you enjoy it along the way and you're giving high fives, like I do that all the time, um, do a little dance, you know, in a professional way. (laughs) Get that. Not too much hips. (laughs) But really just having it fun, that's why I call it Club Pharmacy. That's a name that I came up with, and it's really spread like wildfire throughout the profession. Is You have to be there anyway, so why not make it fun? Right. Um, make it Club Pharmacy. Make it something you and your staff actually enjoy being in and a part of to deliver the best care because people see that. Like if you're a short staff or have a day, you'll get complaints where, like, oh, they look overworked or they look tired. But if you're engaged – and you're having fun at work, you'll still stay professional. 
they're gonna be like, wow, you guys are really jiving today. Um, or like I, I very, like you have a very loud, caring voice, and I, I laugh a lot. Um, people are like, wow, you're having a great day. I'm like, yeah, it's it's a Monday. Of course, it's a great day. <laughs> Punch drunk. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, any anything you can do, the little things that add up and, and get that buy-in um, to really help the the staff thrive. That's going to be seen by the patients you serve, and they're going to want to talk to you. Who's going to want to talk to a miserable person? Or who's going to want to talk to someone that clearly is enjoying what they're doing? Not to say it's not stressful, because let's be real, it's pharmacy. Right. That's Stress sure. is a synonym. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just like teaching, I mean, I'm sure you lesson plans, and you've got um, quotas to meet, and you've got to get certain standards on tests and things like that. So regardless of what the job is, you've got that stress, and you've got those things to meet. And that's with everyone, but you have to do it anyway. Why not make it fun? Well, and you can't bring it into the classroom. Mm -hmm. That's that's the whole thing. Which a lot of people, at least the teachers I had when I was young, a lot of them were just miserable. And when you would have that one dynamic, upbeat teacher, it just changed everything. Yeah, and that's who you want to learn from. So. And then they set the standard, and other kids would talk like, "Oh, I love Mr. Natillo's class." And then I'm sure some teachers got jealous, like, "Oh, I want a box. <laughs> I want candy." <laughs> And then all of a sudden, they'll, they'll start bringing in, you know, mm -hmm. treats and trying to be creative, which is good. It's yeah. not judging or putting other people down, but it's raising the standard to inspire others, right. which I really feel you did, not only for the people you worked with, but also the kids, because then they're like, wow, like, I learned so much, and I didn't even, like, realize it or try. I really just wanted to win the game. Right. What if I could take this and apply it to math or to English or pharmacy? Yes. <laughs> so. But at the high school level... You know, I never had, you You didn't have uh, picks from the box or anything like that. So you had to do it with creating that environment that brought in a sense of humor, fascination, everything. Yes. And uh, with history too, with all the movies that they've made, I would quote and show different clips that I could with the violence and language and everything. And that's the way you would hold their interest, you yeah. know. So seventh grade is one way. And then of course, high school was another, but you always have to search out what that way is and so being innovative and catering to your audience exactly exactly it so that's why relationships are so important because if you try to you know do a pick from the box with a 50 year old it ain't gonna work <laughs> no but no. if you try to quote like if you try to sing a sinatra song related to it the kids i played like, sinatra once oh yeah do you, rap do you want to sing for us no no it's okay no <laughs> no i'll be you know i'll be here later so you can pay your waitresses and i'll be in the Four years signing ten by eight. So, oh, okay. Yeah. You can uh, get my address too to send that with the check. Okay, you get it. right, right. But yeah, that's that's where it's at, guys. Is really getting that relationship established, that rapport with the patients, so that you can do these things. And getting there comes from innovation, letting your passion shine, and really delivering that message in a way that is receptive by the people that you're serving, um, and and using that intuition with their age, with what their preferences are, and that comes from knowing the person that you're working with. Exactly. Exactly. Any final tips you want to leave us with? Knowledge uh, nuggets. You know, it's it's interesting to me because I taught this gentleman when he was 12 years old, and he was just a little peanut. He used to run into my class. He was obsessed with the games. And great student, good kid. But uh, it's just it's overwhelming and gratifying to see how far you've come and oh, you. in your profession and how well you're respected and everything else. And the other thing I find fascinating is that. You speak very well from being from Pittsburgh, but once in a while, 
Like, say color for me. Killer. 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 You didn't, you didn't say color. Just like. From I know. <laughs> it's like when I teach about Dwight Eisenhower, you know. <laughs> so, I, I, <laughs> so, I didn't mean to right. pick on you, but. Oh, no, I, I love my. You snuck that out. I just oh, thought yeah. it was awesome. <laughs> it's about 15 minutes ago, but I remembered. We've got the Pittsburgh pride. we got to get it in there. That's it, buddy. You know. All right, well, we're going to head downtown. Okay. Sounds so, good. guys, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having Mr. Dottillo, my seventh grade teacher on Thank the podcast. You, buddy. Um, he's really delivered amazing value because, again, what we're doing, what I try to do is deliver simple solutions to some of your biggest questions to make your job easier, more enjoyable, and allow you to deliver better care to your patients. Um, and I really feel that going back to the basics is sometimes the best way to do that. So why not go back to the best grade ever, seventh grade, and bring that back? So hopefully you guys have seen um, the shifts that can be made from school, at, from a teacher classroom setting to school in the pharmacy setting. Because at the end of the day, that's really what we are, our teachers, guide, guidance um, for patients to live their best lives and for our staff to deliver the best care possible as the healthcare team. So thank you guys for listening in. Uh, Dr. Adam Martin with the Fit Pharmacist Healthcare Podcast, signing off with my teacher and friend, Mr. Datillo. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in again. We will see you next time. Wine is just cheesed. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, blame it on the dog. Oh, no, it is. It's his salmon farts. <laughs> blame it on the oh, dog. That's his salmon fart. I'm not taking Grant for credit for that. I don't know the dog. If it was me, I'd, I'd study out uh, for it. But that's him. That's my wife. The great thing is he doesn't know this is still recording. It's oh, is gonna, it? It's going to be the intro. <laughs> this is going to be gold. I can't wait for this. Oh, my God.